Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. What you drinking today? I just opened a BrewDog Punk AF. Ooh, that sounds fun. What is it? It is fun. So the AF actually stands for alcohol-free. Oh, so it's fun (laughs) in a different way. Exactly. I saw that and I was like, oh, that was clever, BrewDogs. That was clever. (laughs) Love it. So... It's basically just their punk IPA, but it has a 0.5% alcohol by volume. So alcohol-free beer isn't like 100% alcohol-free, so you couldn't like give it to children or anything. (laughs) But it has so little alcohol that you can enjoy them if you enjoy the taste of beer. Like I do, but don't want to be inebriated by it, which is also me today because I have to work (laughs) when we're done recording. (laughs) Probably not a good idea to be tipsy and sending emails. Totally. Exactly. Totally understand that. So what did you open over there? So I opened a Breakwater UP Crafted Hard Cider. Mm. Cider. Seltzer. Excuse me. And the flavor is white peach, and it is brewed and canned by Ordock Brewing Company in Marquette, Michigan. Nice. Yeah, I've been on a bit of a seltzer kick the past couple weeks. Generally, they're a little lighter in calories, which is always nice. But I had a few good ones this weekend at a brewery, too. So I've been just trying, you know, to venture out past the white claw seltzer and to go to some more <laughs> bougier ones and it's it's been going well nice they sound fun so do they taste kind of like fruit fart water like <laughs> a little bit yeah this one is just water sugar yeast and natural flavor some of them like truly have hops in them so you get kind of like a wide variety but this one's more like the fart water But I did have a watermelon mint one this week from Aberrant Ales called In the Nude, and it was super good. Mm. It was a stronger fart water taste, (laughs) (laughs) and it was super dangerous because it was not, you couldn't taste alcohol at all. It was 5%, so I had watermelon mint one, and then there was like a prickly pear one too. So if you guys are in the area, that brewery is in Howell. Unfortunately, I don't think they do growlers of those. But stop in there. It's a super cool place. Highly recommend it. Nice. Our drink peep this episode is our friend Ashley Kiernan, and she is at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right. So we've both done a thing recently. Yeah. Yeah. We finally put our big girl panties on <laughs> and legitimate, <laughs> legitimatized our farm businesses yay 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 yes yes but what does that mean exactly because it's it unfortunately at least from my street corner it doesn't feel as simple as it sounds but it's also not as scary as you might imagine 
if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Anything that has to do with like paperwork, like legitimizing paperwork at the state and the federal level, like you have to when you put together a business, can feel really overwhelming, especially if it's not something that you do all day. It happens to be something that I used to do all day, (laughs) every day. (laughs) Now I do it on a much like more scaled down level because I don't work in public accounting anymore, Mm -hmm. but I'm familiar enough with it that I have just enough knowledge to get myself into only a tad bit of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little. But also like know what steps to take to like make things right, I guess, which is a good thing. (laughs) And I wanted to be a CPA for like one semester in college. Actually, it was like half a semester because once I got through the first month of classes, I was like, F this. This sucks. Doesn't help that that professor did the Socratic method where they just randomly call on you. And I don't like that as an introvert. Uh Especially your first semester of your freshman year. Like, and the guy was just, he was just a dick. So I pivoted and went into theater instead because that was a great (laughs) choice. (laughs) Wait, you went from CPA school to theater school? I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And then after a year of cleaning apartments from evicted people (laughs) that would leave dog shit and drug paraphernalia everywhere, I went back to get my master's in health administration. So I was a little all over the place. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) No, it was a journey. Very expensive one, but here we are. Oh, I like it. So we did use some sources for today's episode, the good old (laughs) IRS.gov. A great blog post from HelloHomestead.com, some stuff from Credit Karma, Try Green Equipment, and the PSU Extension Office. So we'll have links to all of those things in the show notes because they'll be really helpful if you're thinking about starting like switching your farm over from a homestead to a farm, you can use some of these resources can help you do that. But before we start, we will mention again that we are not tax professionals. We cannot give you tax advice. We can only tell you what we've done, what we've learned, what we think, and that's about it. Your financial situation is unique to you. So you need to talk to somebody that's familiar with that before you move forward and make your decisions. Yes. And I'll just say right out of the gate, this is pushing me to actually go to a tax professional for my taxes next year and not just use TurboTax. Not that there's anything wrong with TurboTax, but I'm officially outside of my comfort zone on what's okay and what's not. But we do want to present information to you today so you can figure out where your comfort zone is. Yeah, it's nice to know where your comfort zone is because sometimes you don't know that you've hit it until you've like jumped over the line. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So let's get started with some good old definitions. Yeah. Yes. So there are a few different ways that the word farm is defined, kind of like we've talked about previously, like kind of you know, the whole imposter syndrome of having to get over calling yourself a farmer and feeling like you're, you know, not actually a farmer. Now you have some other regulatory places telling you what a farm is. So this did some stuff for my imposter syndrome. I'll just throw that out there. (laughs) (laughs) But the United States Department of Agriculture defines a farm as a place from which a thousand dollars or more of agricultural products were produced and sold 
or normally would have been sold during this year. So this definition takes into account that farms that may not have sold $1,000 or more of products in a specific year, but normally would do. So say like the weather was crap, or you had disease that impacted your crops, or you had some changes in your marketing strategy that didn't go so well. This accounts for that. So it's just that you're projected or have proven before that you've made that level of money. And this tends to apply to smaller farms, obviously, because <laughs> larger farms that may have been around for a while, generally they're going to do more than $1,000 in product sales. But for like me and Bev, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that is. I was thinking about that when I read that. I was like quick calculating in my head and I was like, yeah, the USDA isn't going to consider me a farm this year because I won't. I don't see any like plausible way of selling a thousand dollars worth of stuff that was like produced right. on the farm. <laughs> but now that you have your bucklings, I bet you next year, yes, you will have no problem doing that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So the IRS defines a farm just a little differently than the U.S. Department of Agriculture does. According to the IRS, a business qualifies as a farm if it's actively cultivating, operating, or managing land for profit. And for-profit is the keyword with the IRS. Your goal has to be to make money. And you have to actually be taking the steps necessary to make money in order to be considered a farm business by the IRS. And a farm includes livestock, dairy, poultry, fish, vegetables, and fruit. And greenhouse growers of ornamental and edible plants are included in this definition of farm oh. as well. Good to know. Yeah. And what's also good to know is that if you are an individual or a business that meets the definition of farming, you might be able to deduct certain farm-related expenses or losses as part of your annual tax filing, which is like the whole reason people set up a business in the first place, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But there's a distinction between farmers and just regular businesses. Farmers use a Schedule F on their tax return to report farming income and losses, and businesses that are not farms use a Schedule C if they're not a corporation and like all of these other things. But if you're a sole proprietor LLC, a Schedule C is usually what you'll use because you're not a corporation. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to get too like far off the topic, though. <laughs> yeah, but that's an important distinction. You really need to think through... And the IRS also makes a solid distinction between what a production farm is and what a quote-unquote hobby farm is. And the reason they do that is because hobby farms tend to be people that grow and sell small amounts of produce or other crops and livestock in addition to their regular employment off the farm. So what happens is if you are a hobby farmer, then... When you file your taxes, you will have to declare all of the income that you made from your hobby farm if it's not a significant source of your income, but you don't get to write off any losses from your hobby farm. So I hope that that makes sense because usually when you have a business, you can offset other income that you make, like say from your day job or your W-2, you can offset some of that income with losses from a business. You can't do that if you're defined as a hobby farm as the IRS, because hobbies by their nature are not really intended to be a significant source of your income. So I know that that 
is a little complicated, but that's the main distinction. And that's why it's so important to define and decide what you're doing with your farm when you're setting up a business, because you can get into a lot of tax trouble if you do write off some of your salaried income using losses from a quote unquote hobby farm. Which is why I will be hiring an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) Because I want somebody else to tell me what's okay and what's not, because I'm too lazy to figure that out on my own. But I will track everything in the meantime, so that when it's time to make that decision, we have all the data points. So don't feel ashamed or intimidated if you don't know just keep really good records of what you did yeah exactly and the irs actually has like a sniff test that they use when they're trying to figure out whether or not a farm business is a hobby farm or a more like production farm business and it doesn't really have anything to do with necessarily like the size of your farm but it has to do with like whether or not you're conducting your farm like an actual business like Do you put in a lot of time and effort into your farm and the marketing of your farm? Is your lifestyle dependent on, you know, the income that you make from your farm? Or if you do have losses on your farm, are they due to things that are outside of your control? Or, you know, like typical losses for a startup business? Because, you know, like you're starting a farm business, you got to buy livestock and Mm -hmm. fencing and like all of this stuff that you didn't normally have. So for your first year, a loss is pretty typical I would think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and if you're if you're like going big or going home you're more than likely financing a lot of your stuff with loans Mm -hmm. like big scary loans and some of those loans might even come from the government too so it just depends on your scale of what you're doing yeah that might drive some of this sniffing (laughs) (laughs) well and the IRS will also want to see like are you an expert or are you knowledgeable in the type of farming activity, you know, that you're doing? If you aren't, then that might not really be a, like a legitimate farm business in, in their eyes. Or if you're not taking the steps to become one, because, you know, none of us are experts the first year that we do anything. Right. <laughs> Right. And they also like want to see if you have had losses, like say you have losses several years, like are you making pivots in your business to try to become profitable or are you just doing the same thing over and over again and continuing to lose money to offset salaried income? You know, they don't like that. (laughs) Right. And also they want to see if you're like purchasing assets that you expect to appreciate and value. You know, are you investing in your business? Basically, they want to see some of that. So it's not too complicated. But like Sam said, definitely (laughs) tax advisor. And in fact, I forgot to tell you, I'm thinking of hiring somebody this year also, Uh even though this is like my wheelhouse, because I do I feel like I'm like walking on the line right now. Oh, yeah, I think I'm probably if the IRS were to come over here and sniff me. Um, they would probably call me a hobby farm, even though I identify as a farmer. So I find this sniff test to be helpful, but scary vague, if that makes sense. Yeah. So (laughs) it's true. I might try to track down somebody in town here that works with other farmers so they can do the sniff test before the IRS even gets close to sniffing because I... I mean, hopefully the IRS isn't listening. I don't like them. And they're already all up in my business because we always end up owing money on our tax return somehow. So I don't want to be put in a situation where it looks like I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. And that's smart. I mean, the IRS isn't popular, so it shouldn't be any surprise to them that they're not liked. (laughs) Poor IRS. 
All right, so farms versus homesteads. I found this little distinction really helpful too. Homesteads are different from farms because on a homestead, the food or fiber is grown only for the people living on that land, whereas on a farm, you're growing to produce for other people to buy it. So that, if you are getting a little stuck on that definition, that's a great way to separate it. Yeah, and that definition was really helpful for me too because I've been producing and growing things for other people pretty much all along, but I haven't been selling it. I've mm -hmm. been giving it to them. <laughs> Free food. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But yeah, that makes you more of a charity, I guess, and like a tax right. way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also an option that people could look into is becoming a charity with what they're doing. That's just not the route that we took. Yeah. So since we both live in the United States and the IRS wants our money on anything we profit off of, we need to be smart about how we track things. And that's why we both ended up creating formal businesses. So let's get into what we each did to become legit. Wish you could ask us your questions, share your can't evens, or tell your farm story to us out loud. You can do that now by calling and leaving us a voicemail. Just call 401-426-3276, which is 401-426-FARM, if you've been putting off typing your farm story because you don't want to. That just takes too much time. Well, now you can call us and just tell us about it. We love to play these voicemails on the minisodes like the one you're listening to right now, but obviously we will still take your stories, questions, and can't evens in written form as well. Bottom line, we just want to hear from you. So make sure you call us and leave us a voicemail at 401-426-FARM. So Bev, how and what did you do to set up your farm business? Okay, so... I call myself a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find you a t-shirt that says that because it's very true. And I don't, I don't say that as like a, an insult at all. Like you're very good at this, setting things up. I like business ideas. Like I could seriously, like I could be one of those people that just started, I forget what those are called, like those incubators, you know, where they just like incubate oh, yeah. small businesses and like sit at tables with people and just like bounce ideas off of them. That would be my dream job <laughs> if I was being really honest with myself, because I love just like talking to people and coming up with ideas and like finding things that people are really passionate about. I really mm -hmm. like that. So. That's why I have a lot of businesses. Like my business page on the Secretary of State for the state of Ohio has multiple pages on it. <laughs> oh my gosh, Bev. Like if you had a ballpark, how many do you think? So I, I, I was trying to think about that. I think I'm on like five or six. Okay. Yeah. That's not terrible. Which isn't too bad. It's a lot. Yeah. But it's not terrible. And some of them don't make any money anymore. So they like drop off my tax return. And then I'm constantly like adding new things. And then maybe they don't end up working out or panning out or they get put on hold. So yeah, I've got I've got a few of them. So I set up an LLC with the state of Ohio. And Ohio makes it really easy because like I mentioned, they have that website for mm -hmm. the Secretary of State. You can do it all online. It's like a few clicks of a button. You've got to enter some information. You need, you know, like your personal information. And if you have any partners or anything like that, mm -hmm. you need their info, but they make it really easy. And then they take like five or six days and then they email you back and say, yes, your LLC was approved. Hooray! <laughs> yeah. 
So after I got that email from them, then I went to the IRS's website and obtained an EIN. And once I did that, I actually did rough out a business plan because that's one of the things that the agencies look at if they're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out if you're like a legitimate farm. They want to know, like, do you have a business plan? So I rough one out on like it's just an outline. It's just like these are the things I'm thinking of selling. This is what I'm thinking of doing in the future. These are ideas that I have for scaling that. My business plan isn't anything formal. But if you wanted to like get a loan or get investors or anything, you need to write like a 10 page formal report on your business plan. (laughs) Which sounds like a lot. But honestly, it probably isn't once you get like rocking and rolling on that sort of thing. Yeah, it really isn't. And you know, it's a good exercise to go through even just roughing out an outline of what you want your farm business to be because there's something for me about putting pen to paper or even if I just typed it out. There's something about articulating those ideas and getting them like out of your head and onto something that you can look at. Because sometimes you look at it and you're like, oh, well, now I know how I'm going to get there. And you can make a note like, you know, about the path that you need to take. Or you might type it out and be like, ugh, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. Ugh, try again. <laughs> try again. Next idea. <laughs> I also had a water quality test done on our well in the state of Ohio. If you want to sell eggs off farm, if you sell them on your farm, you don't have to have a license or have this test done. But if you want to like put them in stores or send them to restaurants mm. or anything, you have to have an egg selling license and you have to have this water quality test if you have a well. If you have city water, you don't have to do this or county water. That's the other thing that we have around here. Because what they're looking for is coliform bacteria. When you rinse eggs, the coliform bacteria can get into the pores and contaminate them so they want to test your well (laughs) oh and thankfully mine was negative hooray because that would have been super sad (laughs) Uh, yeah if it had been positive we would have had some bigger problems around here Mm-hmm. I also went ahead and started a QuickBooks file because they want to see you doing, you know, like financial stuff. I have a QuickBooks license, like an accountant's QuickBooks license. So I was able to start that really easily. But you can do QuickBooks online or spreadsheets or whatever you want. Um, QuickBooks is my chosen way of keeping track of financial stuff. And then in the future, I'm planning to get a farm number. I haven't plotted out exactly how I'm going to go about that. But when you get a farm number, you you get it usually from your like county Department of Agriculture. They have you fill out some forms and talk to you a bit and then they assign you one. When you get a farm number, though, you get counted in the U.S. Department of Agriculture's like farm census information. And it also opens you up to the ability to get like government grants for certain farm activities that you can do. And not all of them are farming related. Like if you lived on a farm that had lots of woodland, you can get woods management grants. So you could get paid by these grant programs to manage your woods in an ecologically responsible way. So that's kind of cool. And ways that my farm is planning to make money, or I guess I'm planning to make money on my farm. My farm has no plans. They're all mine. (laughs) (laughs) My number one one will be goat sales. And that's what I think is going to actually make us the most money on the farm. That and breeding fees. I got two really good bucklings. So once they, I probably won't do breeding fees this fall because they'll still be kind of young. So I don't have like, they aren't proven or anything. So I couldn't really 
I would feel bad taking people's money and then find out that they weren't really ready to breed yet. So I'll probably wait until they throw some kids and then I'll know for sure that they're fertile. <laughs> right. And plant start sales, which I actually did sell some plant starts this year. So that was fun. And I'm I'm hoping to do some this fall also because I actually think that my fall garden is going to be even better than my spring and summer garden. Ooh. Just because, you know, you learn so many things every time Mm -hmm. you start a garden so (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hope that I'll do some veggie sales a local friend of mine and I are talking about starting just a small farmer's market in our town during the week we haven't worked out all the details but I'm hoping that we'll do that for the fall gardening season and it's a little late for us to do anything for this gardening season but I'm hoping that we'll do that this year and then if we don't then we'll work on it you know over the winter and Mm -hmm. get it going in the spring I'll also be selling eggs, which I'm in the process of getting the egg seller's license. I did the first step. Now I just have to have the coops inspected and they'll like, you know, certify me and give me a certificate. In the future, I hope to be wholesaling flowers, vegetables and eggs to another business that I own that's starting a coffee shop. And then I'll also be doing the same thing for another business I own that manages Airbnbs and tourism stuff. And I'm really excited because that Airbnb is actually supposed to launch like within the next two or three weeks. So when it does, I'll tell everybody because if anybody wants to come visit me, they can stay in my Airbnb. (laughs) Nice. And just a note about the agro-tourism thing. That's like a whole nother tax boat. So I definitely am going to have to get some advice on that because like agro-tourism isn't actually cultivating the land. So My opinion is that I think that that has to be listed separately from the farm income and expenses, but I need to double check with a professional on that. And then income that my farm helps me make, but has to be reported under another non-farm business because it's not like physically farming related, is like the fees that we get for podcasting, selling merch, and also any like deals that you get from like social media or influencing or, you know, any type of that, like deals with companies those aren't farm related either even if like you know your social media presence is all because of your farm so that has to be under another business (laughs) right all the businesses all the businesses yeah once you start a business you can't have just one so watch out sam it's like chips pringles (laughs) (laughs) once you pop the fun don't stop as an adult i don't really ever want to stop anywhere Like, ever. I just want to get where I'm going or get home, wrap up farm chores, and, and like, do nothing. The last thing I want to do is stop at the feed store and stare at a variety of products to make decisions on what I may or may not want for my flock. It can be super overwhelming, and unless I'm buying myself something fun from the farm decor section, I don't want to go inside. And this is exactly why we love Henny and Rue. Honey and Rue is a monthly box put together by chicken keepers for chicken keepers and their flock. It takes the guesswork out of which products you should try because someone that has experience with chickens has hand-selected the products. In each box, you'll find six to eight chicken keeping supplies like treats, medical or health products, books or magazines, and even a couple of fun and useful chicken-themed items for you, the chicken keeper. So head on over to hennyandrew.com and use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your first subscription box. All right, Sam. So what did you do to legitimize your farm business? All right. So I finally settled on a farm name, which was like 
my excuse not to do anything for a long time <laughs> was because I couldn't figure that out. So if you follow me on Instagram, you know my handle changed and it probably confused some people, but it's now Twisted Willows Farm. And we have a lovely logo that I spent a decent amount of money on, <laughs> but I love it and that's what I wanted. And I was thought saw it as an investment. So I too formed an LLC, but the state of Michigan's website is a freaking nightmare and you have to print everything out and mail it in. And it's not super clear which forms you need to print out and mail in or where on the website you need to go. So like any government run website just sends shivers down my spine. So I didn't want to mess with that. So I actually used LegalZoom and it costs more money, but I barely had to do anything. So you just, it was $129 for them to do this on behalf of me. So it's $79 for them to do it. And then for the state filing fee, it's whatever that is for your state. So for me, it was $129, but they do everything. You just go through the module that is super like user friendly and answer the questions, fill in your information. They upfront perform a pretty robust name search for your business name before they submit the documentation, which was great. Saved me time. I didn't have to go hunting for it myself. And you can track the progress on the app. So I didn't have to mail anything in at all. They verified everything, sent it to the state, told me when the state approved it. LegalZoom was really, really fast. The state of Michigan was slow, <laughs> which just doesn't surprise me. Sounds like Ohio has their crap together a little bit better for this sort of thing. But yeah, you know, every state's going to be different and that's okay. Then I also set up an ID number on the IRS website, which was like the easiest part of this whole process. The IRS's website was really fast and that kind of surprised me because I have to make payments on there monthly for the taxes we owe, uh, full disclosure, and that process is not friendly and fun. So I was a little surprised that that part was super easy. But we decided to do, I have this partnership with my husband on the LLC. I have like chicken scratch of a business plan. So I should probably formalize it just in case anybody ever asks for it. So don't basically show them like a bar napkin. <laughs> <laughs> but we just, I just kept it super simple because for me, it kind of got my butt in gear to actually start tracking my expenses, which I am also doing through QuickBooks through the app because it's just so convenient to be able to just take a picture of your receipt and track that way for any kind of purchasing we're doing. I did set all of this up before we did our big fencing and garden push this year because I do plan to do like a roadside farm stand sale because we are going to have a shit ton of pumpkins. You are. <laughs> and I'm going to put them out by the road and do the honor system with a lockbox of, or like a little money deposit box that I'll empty every day and hope people just, you know, actually pay for them and don't steal my pumpkins. But there are actually a lot of people around here that do that sort of thing. So I'm thinking because it's happening a lot already, like there's not a lot of theft happening. <laughs> So we'll see how that goes this year. Yeah. And if people are just stealing my pumpkins, then I will just go to a farmer's market or something. Be sure on your farm stand that you have a Venmo and you set up your Venmo Ooh. so that if people don't have cash, they can still buy your pumpkins and just Venmo you the Ooh, money. That's a good idea. I will have to do that. I could do that with the eggs too. Yeah. Just do like at 
Twisted Willows Farms and have like your picture ah. or your logo. And like you can even print off like you can print your Venmo QR code so that they can scan it and you can just like have it printed in vinyl. And just, like, you know, have it stuck to the side of your farm stand or whatever. I like that idea. Because we're also going to do egg stand sales, which was another expense. But my egg cooler stand thing hasn't been put out officially to the side of the road consistently. Because I need to, like, chain it to a tree. Oh. Because it was, like, $150. But it's super cute and, like, retro looking. So it's what I wanted. And then I put decals on it. But I need to get a chain, chain it to the tree. And then start rocking and rolling there. And then we'll have the roadside farm stand, which will mostly probably this year be pumpkins. But if I have a plethora of other vegetables that are just going to go to waste, I'll put those out there too. Did you plant any zucchini? Because you'll put zucchini on it if you planted zucchini. <laughs> I did. And they are coming in hot. Yep. Which is exciting. It's very gratifying. There are a ton of long skinny zucchinis happening right now. <laughs> love it goat sales so obviously we have a problem here where goats just get knocked up trying to resolve that so it's a little more planned we're getting there (laughs) but obviously goat sales just tracking those now and then i'll also have the separate like website merch sales type deal that you were talking about too and podcasting obviously but those are ways that the farming activity kind of bleeds into other areas of my life. So yeah, those are the main things that I am focusing on right now. And then we'll just see how it snowballs over time. Yeah. I mean, all it takes is to get started. I find that that's always the hardest part. (laughs) Oh, and you were talking about egg selling license a lot too. So just for awareness for Michigan, you don't need an egg selling license if like, In Ohio, you're just selling them from your farm. But if I were to try to sell to a store or a restaurant, I too would need one of those. I believe those are also the rules for Michigan. (laughs) So just keep an eye on that and do a quick Google search. If you're getting into that area, what the rules are for your state. Yeah, because every state is slightly different. Mm -hmm. Like there are different things that you have to go through in Ohio and Michigan probably to get your license if you are going to get an egg selling license. And in fact, I was talking to, I think it was Elise Ferguson, the rules in Minnesota are different for washing your eggs. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, because they send you that. Like when you're going to get your egg selling license, they tell you exactly how the state of Ohio wants you to wash your eggs. And like the water has to be a certain temperature and like you can't submerge them. The water has to just be running over them. And yeah, there's all those funky things. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you have it. So if you have any experience setting up your farm or any interesting tidbits you want to share with us, you can... Drop those in our Facebook group. You can join us there if you haven't already. It's just We Drink and We Farm Things. And it's a lot of fun in there. Yeah, we have a pretty active group. We do. So let us know what your experience is. Because I'm super interested. Especially if anybody's run into any weird tax hiccups. Definitely want to hear about those. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm always in the camp of better safe than sorry. Oh, same. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, you spend more money 
on taxes that way as well. So yep. that's just something else to keep in mind. And th- and that's why a tax professional is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like you pay them several hundred dollars, but they could save you thousands. So yes. And depending on what you're using, like my TurboTax that I use, because I file the small business, it's still like $250. Mm-hmm. So you might pay a human more, but like you said, could save you tons of dollar dollar bills yeah all right so now it's time for we can't even corner so bev what can't you even about this week okay so mine is a little old now at this point but i'm finally getting an opportunity to talk (laughs) about it but my animals broke the fence while i was out of town (laughs) it's like every farm owner's worst nightmare yes On the bright side, they just broke a fence in between two pastures so they couldn't actually go anywhere. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But I was really nervous because they had broken the fence. So what happened was Jupe, the donkey, decided that the grass was indeed greener in the goat's area. And he was not wrong. He was correct about this. (laughs) So I suppose I can't blame him. He broke the fence so that he could go over there and go eat some grass. But if anyone remembers... Herc, the donkey, does not have a very good relationship with goats. Yeah. So when I saw the picture, I was I was three hours away and I got the picture that the donkeys were over in the goats area. I was like freaking out because I, I told my husband, I was like, I want to get home immediately because if Herc decides that he wants to play too rough with like one of our new goats like our new dolings that were born last year then that's a whole like two years of work down the drain so i mean and not to mention like the awfulness of the loss of life but right you know like you have to think of like all of the angles when you're trying right. to tell someone why something is so important. <laughs> and he agreed with me, thankfully. But it turned out our neighbors are really awesome and they separated everyone and fixed the fence for us. So we did not have to rush home. So the rest of our trip got to stay as planned, which was really exciting. But it was a really good experience to go through because you know, you always think of that worst case scenario and that can kind of stop you from going and doing things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. But once it happens and you realize everybody survives and everything is fine and it's not the end of the world, then it gets a little easier, like when something doesn't go perfectly as planned next time. Right. So has the fence since been fixed? Sort of. So the section of fence that they actually broke is supposed to be a gate. Oh, (laughs) so they were just using the gate. (laughs) Yeah, they were using the gate, but it had fence stretched over it. But we have not been able to put a gate in because we cannot find. We have searched everywhere, high and low. We went to like seven places the other weekend trying to find the gate that we need, and we cannot find it. We need an eight-foot welded wire gate because it needs to be small enough that baby goats can't fit through it mm-hmm. like newborn baby goats so it can't be like a tube gate and we haven't been able to find one so what we had done is we had just stretched some fence over it and then used some fencing nails to nail it closed and then whenever I need to mow in there I pull the fencing nails out with it's this thing that we call the slammer hammer it's like a <laughs> I don't know what to call it. It's one of those wrenches that you can like clamp down on things and tighten it so that it doesn't open back up. And then you like Mm -hmm. pull on this bar and it's like a reverse hammer. 
it like pulls things out rather than hammering oh. them in. It's super handy. It's a really cool tool. I'll have to show everybody it on Instagram because I think it's I think it's one of those tools that like someone invented, but isn't like you can't like go get one at the hardware store. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. Well, before we went on vacation, I had opened that up to mow it. And when I retacked it, I must have put some of them in the old holes. Like I usually put a new hole so that the nails are as secure as possible. Mm-hmm. But some of the nails must have been in old holes or I've just like nailed it in so many times because I've obviously had to redo that a bunch in the two years since we've built that fence. <laughs> it just wasn't secure anymore. So right. all they had to do was push up against it and the <laughs> fencing nails just like popped right out. <laughs> Ugh. Well, hopefully you can find a gate soon. I know that can be really tricky. Yeah, I'm hoping so, too, because we're in the middle of building the pasture for the little buckling boys. And I don't have an eight foot gate for them either. So we've done the same thing, except we were smarter about it this time. We attached the fence piece to sandwiched two by fours. And then we drilled them into the fence posts. Ah. So we'll just pull the drill out and pull them out when we need to pull the mower in there to mow. And then, you know, re-secure it when we have to put it back up. But hopefully we don't have to do that too often because, you know, how many holes do you want in your really sturdy fence posts? Right. (laughs) So we'll see. So what is your can't even this week? So my can't even is a video of a kitten that has a bit of an unusual scream, we'll say. Oh, yeah? So um, I'm just going to play it for you guys. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's a kitten? Yes. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like a pterodactyl. Right? Yep. So uh, this kitten is very adorable. You guys will have to check out the video. We'll link to it in the show notes. But the reason I thought it was funny is because one of our little barn kittens that we just had, he sounds like a seagull. Oh my gosh. (laughs) When he meows or screams or anything. So we are keeping him and his name is Steven. Like Steven Seagal. Because I couldn't call him a seagull, but yeah, he's very cute. So I've managed to convince my husband that we need to keep two kittens because I first named the orange one and that just meant I was going to keep them because I named them. And then there's the black and white one that is Steven now. So we have Tobias and Steven. The other five will need to go to different homes before I name them. (laughs) But they are, by the time this drops, they'll be six weeks old. So they're about ready to go and they are eating food like crazy now it's like all of a sudden they're very interested in the wet and dry food so it felt like it happened like overnight so very soon they'll be able to go off on their new homes so if you're local and looking for a kitten reach out to me they'll just be a small rehoming fee but they are looking for barns or homes i mean they're not picky (laughs) (laughs) Look, if my barn cats had a choice, they would have gone to a home that brought them inside. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm trying really hard not to bring one of these inside. Two is enough inside. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh my gosh, they are so adorable. Do not tell Aurora that you have kittens. Yeah, I will never hear the end of it. <laughs> or I might have to be like making a trip down there with one. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she is constantly begging from. She's a crazy cat lady. Like I don't know where she got it from, but she is one hundred percent crazy cat lady. It's adorable, and I love how much she loves her cats. But oh my gosh, <laughs> see. That's where it's dangerous, though, because my dad doesn't like cats because one, like, he had stitches on his thumb and then they were about to be taken out and then a cat bit his thumb. So he doesn't like cats because of that. So I never got a cat, but my grandma would get me, like, these faux stuffed cat things that I saw one in the window the other day when I was, like, walking around downtown Howell and my husband looked at me like I had three heads when I was like, oh, I used to have one of those. Because <laughs> they're, like, they're like hard, like, taxidermy-looking cats, not, like, a stuffed animal. It's kind of weird. But anyways, and now I'm a crazy cat lady that's about to have, like, five barn cats. So, <laughs> you know, it's all about balance. So it's good that she's at least got the two. So she might be safe from crazy lady cat dumb one day (laughs) (laughs) full-on cat rancher (laughs) yes there's nothing wrong with cat ranching it's true true. (laughs) so make sure you're putting your can't evens in our facebook group or send them to us via facebook messenger instagram or you can email those to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com and be sure and leave us a review we'll read one apple podcast review on the show per week and you'll get entered to win a coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. And I'm so excited because someone just emailed us the other day that they yes. were last month's winner. And I can't wait for them to get their mug because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a newish series over on our Patreon called Straight No Chaser that is only available to our patrons at the $5 level or above. We talk about all sorts of fun things in that little series so for more information you can go to patreon.com slash drink and farm that is a great way to support the podcast if you're interested in more content from us and be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen because this helps more people like you find this podcast and if you're listening to this and thinking that you should just share this with the masses because it's so great well head on over to your instagram stories and show people that you're listening to us and tag us at drink and farm because if you do that as a thank you we're gonna send you a promo code just for that episode and my dog agrees it's a great deal yeah he's being very (laughs) vocal about it yes make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to all of the helpful resources that we discussed in this episode. There's also a link where you'll find a survey to tell us how we're doing anonymously, links to our social media and our merch shops. So that's it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Yeah, that's it, guys. So until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye now. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Summer is officially here, which means there are lots of funky smells and flies. First Saturday Lime is our go-to natural organic pest control tool. First Saturday Lime has the ability to dry out insects, eggs, and larvae. It is effective as a treatment for infestations as well as preventing those little buggers from infiltrating your coops and barns in the first place. You can get Lime shipped to your door monthly with the first Saturday Lime subscription. 
And that comes with free shipping. So go to firstsaturdaylime.com to get signed up.